Go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. We began on a series right at the first of this year. Uh, one that I was not expecting, but I know it, and I know it better now than I knew it a couple of months ago, that this is the direction of the Lord for us. We're talking about God's intent for us to live this life as free people. Say it. We are free people. Freedom was what God intended man to live with from the moment He created him. And we've talked some about this, but this, is what, this was His first gift to mankind was freedom. God created this place and put man in it, and He told him in that garden that of all the trees of the garden you may, how, how can they eat? Freely eat. That's freedom. But then He said, there's one that I don't want you to eat of. Because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And we've talked about this, but I, I, you can almost sense people's frustration with that. Man, God, if you just, just not planted that seed, if you just not planted that tree, everything would be great. No, listen, you're not free unless you have a choice. You're not free unless and until you have a choice. Man had to have a choice if he was going to experience the freedom God intended him to have. And that's why he said it in various places throughout his word. I call heaven and earth to record this day. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you and your seed may live. And you would think, well, God, if you love us, just take away the death and cursing part. Don't even give us that choice. No, he had to. Because He loved you. Love forced on somebody is not love. That's creepy. <laughs> That's obnoxious. That's borderline federal offense. <laughs> you know, you, you cannot force love on somebody. The greatest thing love can do for anybody is create opportunity. And that's what God did from the moment He created man. He gave him opportunity. But when man made his choice against God, I thank God that right then and there, He went to work to get His man back. And that's what the plan of redemption was all about. From that moment pressing towards the moment Jesus would manifest in this earth, it was all about buying you back, getting back your freedom. Because when man gave away his authority, he gave away his freedom. But what Jesus came to get back for you was your freedom and to give you his authority. And with that authority comes great freedom. And now when you look through the life and ministry of Jesus, if you look through that lens, then you see it over and over and over. From the moment he stood up in the book of Luke chapter 4 and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. What did he say was on him? This is important for us tonight. It was the what? The Spirit of the Lord was on him because he has anointed me, he said, to preach the gospel to the poor. To, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are oppressed, to proclaim liberty. That's what he said. That's preaching freedom and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, if you go back and look at every one of those, you can see that was the shape that humanity was in. Every person on planet Earth up until Jesus 
was poor, brokenhearted, imprisoned, held captive, and blind. And he was anointed to bust us out of that prison. You can see it, that the assignment of the anointing on his life was all about your freedom. Poverty is prison. Brokenheartedness is prison. Blindness is a prison. Prison is a prison. That's why I said I'm declaring you freedom. You can see that all of it was about setting you free, even down to him declaring and proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. You know what that was all about? Slaves going free, debts being wiped out. It's all about freedom. This was God's intent for you and for me from the, from the very beginning that we live like free people. Amen. Amen? And we talked about this a number of weeks ago, but if we're ever going to live in our freedom, we're going to have to find out what we've been freed from. Because it's one thing for Jesus to tear down prison walls, to open prison doors, and to stand upon that, the rubble of those walls and say, you're free, you're free, you're free. And then for you to sit in that cell going, man, I just wish I could get out of here. That, it does no good. You see what I'm saying? you got to find out. You've got to realize and recognize, wait a second, I'm free from this. Whatever has been holding you, whatever has been imprisoning you, whether it's a thought or a, or a, a habit or an action or a, or a feeling or a spirit, whatever has held you in prison, Jesus was and is anointed to bust you out. I got the same word from the Lord for you tonight that we had several weeks ago. Thus says the Lord, I'm busting you out of this place. Amen. Say amen if you believe it. Amen. We talked a number of weeks ago about God's overwhelming desire to get his people out. You saw it as the, uh, the children of Israel were imprisoned in Egypt in slavery and in bondage and they cried out for help. And that cry came before him. And he found a man wandering on the backside of the desert, a man named Moses, whose name literally means drawn out. And he said to him, I want you to go tell my people I'm getting them out. That's the word of the Lord that he went into Egypt with. He's getting you out. He's heard your cry. He's seen your bondage and he's getting you out. Then he went and preached that to those people and they praised and they worshiped. And then Pharaoh said, you ain't going anywhere. And they all got mad at Moses. <laughs> Why? Because it didn't happen like, you know, 9 a.m. Monday morning. And they got mad at Moses and Moses got mad at God. Now what do I say? God said, go tell them I'm getting them out. The word didn't change. And we won't go back through all of it, but did God get them out? Yes. Was he quiet about it? Was he sneaky? Was he subtle? No. Man, he blew through that town and everybody, Egyptian and Israelite, knew there is a God in heaven. And evidently, he wants these people out. That's the same word that's coming to you. Whatever's holding you, he's not content with it. He's not pleased with it. He's bringing you out. Say it again. He's bringing me out. He's bringing me out. But don't forget, he never brings you out of one thing without taking you in to something else. Why was he bringing them out of Egypt? To take them in to the promised land, the land that flowed with milk and honey, the land of more than enough, their wealthy place, their wealthy place. 
Has God's heart for His people changed? No. So could, could you and I safely say that's still His desire for us sitting up in here tonight? That if there's something holding us prison, He wants us out and He would bring us out of that and into freedom? Yeah, absolutely. So let's go on in this tonight. Galatians chapter 5, let's remind ourselves of this is our key text. Verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Let me read this to you from a couple other translations. I like it from the New Living Translation. It says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And you wouldn't think that you have to tell people who've just gotten out of prison, don't go back to prison. You wouldn't think you'd have to say that. But do you want to know what those people told Moses? After that God so mightily and miraculously and demonstratively delivered them out of Egypt, once they got out there in the wilderness and God said, okay, now go spy out the land that I'm bringing you into. That's the land I brought you out of. This is the land I'm bringing you into. And they went and looked at it. And you know what they found? Tall people and tall walls. And they came back to Moses and said, oh yeah, it's pretty there. It's nice, sure. But we can't go. Why? Tall people. <laughs> like, no, seriously, like super tall people. And the walls, you should have seen the walls. And all the people wept and they cried. And they said, God brought us out here to die. And this is what they said. Let us appoint a leader to take us back. Why are you trying to go back to prison? Man, you know you are deceived if you think prison is better than freedom. Why would somebody be drawn back to that? Because they don't know how to handle this gift, this gift of freedom. And right in the middle of that, these two guys who the Bible said had a different spirit about them, they shouted, shut up! God is with us and we are able. Let's go, like, now. Let's go. But nobody would listen to them. And so they spent, what, another 40 years out there, I guess it was, or however long it was till that whole generation died out, except for Caleb and Joshua. And then God said, now I can take you in because of this spirit of faith. Let me read it to you from one other translation. We'll move on with this. In uh, the Passion Translation, he says, Let me be clear. The Anointed One has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Say it out loud. I'm not going back to prison. I ain't going back to jail. No, you didn't say ain't. Say, I ain't going back to jail. I ain't going back. All right. Well, let's go on in this tonight. Look with me at the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, Paul is saying things, things that certainly apply to every single one of us as believers, but he's talking specifically about himself and the company he's with as ministers. He's describing their ministry. You see it in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry. 
He's talking about the ministry that God has given him. Beginning in chapter 2, the last verse of that chapter, verse 17 says, We are not as so many, for we are not as so many. This cross-reference in my Bible actually says the rest. He says, we are not as the rest. Well, what were the rest doing? Peddling the Word of God. I think sometimes we get it in our mind that in this time, there was just this tiny little pocket of Christianity and there were like two preachers, Paul and Barnabas, or, you know, but there were other people, there were other preachers, there were other things happening and it wasn't all right. It wasn't all good. Paul actually said, we're not like the rest. We're not peddling the word of God. But listen to him describe his ministry, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of, con, uh, of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Man, you got to love this guy's boldness, don't you? What's he saying? Do I need somebody else's personal endorsement? Epistles, that's letters. Do I need somebody's letter of commendation? Do you need me to get a, a reference letter to send to you to validate my ministry? Do I need some letter from you that validates me? He's saying to these people, hey, I'm not looking for a letter of reference. I, I, I don't need that commendation from you or from anybody else. He said, verse two, here's why. Because you are our epistle written in our hearts. He's saying, you are the letter. Your life is the proof that I'm a minister called by God. Man, bold, huh? I don't need a letter. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. Now listen to this. Written not with ink, but say this next part with me, by the Spirit. He's saying, you are the letter, but it's not a letter written with ink. It's a, le it's a letter written how? How? By the, by the Spirit. Written by who? By the, by the Spirit. This is important for us tonight. Written by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. He said in verse 4, we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we, now when he's talking about we, he's talking about him and the other ministers. Don't forget, he's talking about his ministry. He said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers. So here again, you can see it. He's talking about his ministry. God made us sufficient as ministers. What's he saying? I didn't make myself a good preacher. I didn't make myself a good minister. I'm not drawing my sufficiency from myself. It's not of myself. It's all of God. It's from God. He's saying my sufficiency is of God. In verse 6, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. These ministers and this ministry he's talking about, 
is a ministry under the new covenant, not the old one. Now, you don't even have to know all the ins and outs and details of that to know and understand there should be a difference, right? Ministry under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and ministry under the New Covenant. And Paul is about to make this difference really clear. Now, if this is your church, how would you anticipate and expect us to minister to you under the Old Covenant or under the New? The new. Huh? The New. If you're looking for an Old Testament church, I don't know that... Well, they may be out there. I don't know. But this is a new one. Just so you know, this is a new testament, a new covenant church. He said, again in verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the, say it out loud, spirit. spirit. There it is again, the spirit. Why? Because the letter kills, but what does the spirit do? The Spirit gives life. The Amplified Bible says the Spirit makes alive. That's what the Spirit does. Now, like this verse 7, he's going to talk about the differences between ministering under the old and ministering under the new. He said, if the ministry of death, yikes, that is a horrible name for your ministry. If you (laughs) believe that in any way you're called into ministry, let me help you. Do not call it ministry of death. Nobody will come to your church. <laughs> they will stay away from your ministry. It sounds more like a, like a heavy thrash band or something. Ministry of death. <laughs> Maybe not to you. He said if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the, say this out loud, ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Do you hear something coming up over and over and over? That this New Testament ministry is defined and characterized and must include the ministry of the Spirit. He said, the ministry of the Spirit, how will it not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, there's another bad ministry name, but that's what the old covenant was. Written and engraved on stones. What's he talking about? The law that God gave Moses. Though it was holy, though it was just, and though it was good, all it had the power to do was bring people to the end of themselves and minister or administrate death and condemnation because it set a standard that there was, it offered no strength and no ability to meet. Are you with me? And so the only result was condemnation and death. He said, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even... What was made glorious had no glory in this respect because the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. 
Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Verse 16, this is why we read all of that. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the what? The Spirit. The, Spirit. the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, what do you find there? Freedom. There is liberty. There is freedom. Where is there freedom? Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's where liberty is. This is what defines a New Testament, a New Covenant church or ministry. And this is why it's so important that you and I talk about this right now as we're laying foundation for who we are and for who God has called us to be. I'm telling you, this is a place where the Spirit of the Lord is. Now, he had to be, he had to be crystal clear about that. He said, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Now, if you put this with everything we just read, what's he talking about? Not just where the Spirit of the Lord is, but where the, I'd say it like this, where the ministry of the Spirit is. Isn't that what he talked about through all these verses we just read? But he identified that there is the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, there are also other spirits. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there are other things that are spiritual that have nothing to do with God that have nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do with His Holy Spirit. There's a bunch of spiritual stuff out there. There are other spirits. As the Lord leads us in this series, we'll get into this, but do you remember what Paul said to Timothy? For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Fear's not a feeling. Fear's not an emotion. Fear's a spirit. And it's not God's. It's not of Him. It's not from Him. That's why you should spend no time with it in your life at all. The spirit of fear, in contrast to the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God liberates, what does the spirit of fear do? It binds up. It imprisons. And we'll talk about this in the weeks to come. But there are other spirits. And this is why you and I must be very watchful that we never, ever, ever open ourselves up to any other spirit besides God and His. Never. We ought to spend no time with so-called fortune tellers, people who would, who would try to read a palm or read a card or whatever nonsense it is that they do. The reason you don't need to do that is because there is a great deal of it that's real. And people would not go to these places if it didn't work. But the problem is you open yourself up to something that is not God, it's not from Him, and it has no business in the life of a believer. 
And it will not do what only God's Spirit can do for you, which is liberate, which is make free. So there are other spirits. I want you to look at something Jesus said about this, though. Go to the book of John chapter 3. Somebody say, hurry up, Jeremy. (laughs) In John chapter 3, look at what Jesus said in verse 5. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. This might come as a surprise to you, but the thing that has the ability to stop or hinder the move of God even more than an evil spirit, more than a demonic spirit, more than a spirit of fear. You want to know what can stop the move of God more than any of that? Flesh. Flesh. And we're going to see this in just a couple of places through the Word tonight. And that's only because we don't have time to look at every place you can find this in Scripture. But you are going to see this thick line drawn down the middle, if you will, with the spirit on one side and the flesh on the other. Jesus said, whatever's born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Every time we look at a scripture tonight and you see it in the word, if you see the word spirit, I want you to read it out loud with me and say spirit. If you see the word flesh, I want you to read it out loud and say flesh. Turn over to John chapter 6, just a couple of pages. Look at what Jesus said in verse 63. John 6, 63. He said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, what's the flesh do? Profits nothing. The Amplified Bible says it conveys no benefit. It's the Spirit who gives life, but the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are Spirit, and they are life. Now you're going to see this again in just a moment, but we already saw it in 2 Corinthians 3. What did did we read there? He said, it's the Spirit that makes alive. The Spirit gives life. What we're asking the Lord to do tonight is open our eyes to show us what's Him and what's not. To show us what's spirit and to show us what's flesh. Why? Why would this be so important? Because the spirit makes alive. Can the flesh do that? No. Can't do it. The flesh has no power to do it. The spirit will make alive. The spirit will give life. Read it one more time. Jesus said it. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. You know, this was an interesting 
time in the ministry of Jesus when he said this, because John chapter 6, if you back up just to the beginning of the chapter, it starts with a miracle, man. We spent 30 days as a church reading it together when Jesus fed 5,000 or more, tens of thousands of people probably. And what ended up happening was he left from that place and all those people that got that free meal, they came looking for him. And later in the chapter, they found him. And they were like, hey, where'd you go? And Jesus called them on it. He said, you're not looking for me. You're looking for the signs. You're looking for what I did with the fish and the bread. And they basically told him, we want you to do that again. And he said, no. And then they said to him, well, teach us to work the works of God. These guys, these people have figured out if all we do is follow this guy around, we'll never pay for another meal in our entire lives. Somebody just show up with a, a, a few crackers and a fish and we've got it made. And when Jesus said, no, I'm not doing that. They said, well, teach us to work the works of God. In other words, if you ain't going to do it, show us how to do it. Teach us to do that thing with the bread and the fish. Show, show me how to do that. And Jesus told him, he said, your work is to believe. That's your job. That's your work is to believe. And they said, well, I tell you what, give us a sign that we may believe. Now help me out. Are these people living in the spirit or are they in the flesh? They are trying to feed this flesh. Give us a sign that we may believe. They didn't even let him answer. They said, give us a sign that we may believe. You know, Moses in the wilderness uh, called bread from heaven. So, you know, you could do that. They're still trying to eat. These people are still trying to get a free meal out of Jesus. Do that thing Moses did. Make it rain food. We hungry. Come on, help me out. Is this spirit or is it? It's flesh, isn't it? And Jesus, he said, look, that was not bread from heaven. He said, I'm bread from heaven. And they said, what now? And then he made it worse. You know what he said? He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in this. And they said, come again. <laughs> because even though he's speaking by the Spirit, they're hearing through the flesh. This is so, so important for us to learn. This is why you've got to watch out. Even though you may, even though you may be saying something and have the ability to say something by the Spirit of God, if the person you're talking to has nothing but flesh ears, don't waste your time. These people tried to hear it through the flesh. And you know what the Bible says? They turned and walked away. Thousands of them walked away. Why? Because they couldn't hear through the Spirit. And Jesus didn't try to stop them. Do you notice that? He wasn't like, wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me explain. When I said eat my flesh, I didn't literally like mean eat my flesh. What I meant was, see, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die and my blood's going to be shed. And then one day you guys are going to have these tiny little crackers and a tiny little cup of grape juice. <laughs> and what you're going to do is sit around a round table and somebody's going to read a scripture and you are going to do this in remembrance of me. That's really what I... Did he try to explain any of that? No. You know what he did? He turned to Peter and the boys and said, you leaving too? Confidence, man. Yeah confidence. And you have to love what Peter said. Where would we go? Where would we go? He said, you have the words of life. 
Peter didn't understand eat my flesh or drink my blood any better than anybody else out there, but he knew enough to know there's something spiritual in it. This isn't flesh he's talking about. Romans chapter 8. I'll give you just a little more scripture, then we're going to unpack some of this with the time that we have. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes in verse 1, by the Spirit of God, he said, There is therefore now no condemnation. We talked about this several weeks ago, talking about what we've been freed from. We are free from condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the There you go. But according to the For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I heard you. Let's let's give her another chance. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me what? Has done what? Made me free. Made me free. free. I am free people. (laughs) That's who I am. That's who we are. How did we get that way? Was it by our own flesh? No, it was by the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Touch your Lord. (laughs) For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the... God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the... But according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the... Can you see how much this is in here? This is huge. But we said our... But those who live according to the... The things of the... In other words, you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's big. Can you see how important it is that you and I would receive eyes that see this? Because it's impossible to please God in the flesh. Can't do it. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the if. Now here is a big if. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Can I see the hands of those who would say the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now leave them up for just a second. Look at that. Look at that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Look at that. Keep that hand up. Look. Watch this. Come on. Stand up. Stand up. Look. There's freedom here. Why? Spirit of the Lord's here. Now there's some freedom over here. Why? Spirit of the Lord's <laughs> oh, over here. here I go. Watch this. There's some freedom. There's some freedom over here. Why? Why is there freedom over here now? Because the Spirit of the Lord's here. I'm telling you, this is thank you, sir. This is the reason you and I are called to live as free people because only free people can free people. That's the only ones. 
the only ones who can do anything for anybody, the only ones who can help somebody come out of what's been holding them, what they've been imprisoned by, is somebody who's busted out themselves. I can't get you out if I'm sitting up in the cell with you. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, and I'm, I'm taking him with me where I go. There's freedom here. There's freedom here. Everywhere you go with the Spirit, in the Spirit, by the Spirit, there's freedom going with you. But guess what? What you do in and by and through the flesh, no freedom. No freedom. He said, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not His. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life. There it is again. Because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the... Come on, don't leave yet. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now that's big. If the Spirit gives life, you can see right here on the other hand what comes as the result of living in and by the flesh. Death's on the other side of that. He said, if you live by the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I love this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This is supposed to be one of the defining characteristics of our lives, is that we're led by His Spirit. This is how you should be able to identify one of us is that we're led by Him. We're led by His Spirit. Our decisions are not made led by opportunity, led by money, led by pressure, led by other people. We are led by the Spirit. And evidently, this is supposed to be one of the defining characteristics. What do you say? As many as are led by the Spirit, these... These ones right here, these are the sons of God. This is how you know them, full of His Spirit, led by His Spirit. But it's not just being led by His Spirit in decisions that we're making. Do you know that you can be led by His Spirit in what you say? You can be led by His Spirit, check this out, in what you don't say. That's a big one. Talking off the top of your head is not always the best idea. Jesus knew that. People came and tried to press him and pressure him. We talked about it. He, he thought it was nothing at all to, to kneel down on the ground and start playing in the dirt. Why? He's not saying anything until he hears his father say it. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But the, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Can you see the contrast? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, Freedom, liberty. But this other spirit, any other spirit, is a spirit of bondage. I think it'd be good for you and I tonight 
to, to say this out loud and pray this out loud. Just say it after me. Lord, Lord I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Give me eyes that see. Give me eyes that see. Show me. Show me. Make it clear to me. Make it clear to me. Make it plain to me. What is you? What is not you? What is not you? What is spirit? And what is flesh? I'll be quick to see it. And if need be, I will change. By your grace and by the help of your spirit. In Jesus' name. Now, do you mean that? Because this literally is a matter of life and death. Because it's the Spirit who gives life. It's the Spirit that quickens. Let me just give you three things tonight that I believe will help you and I on this path of, of knowing the difference between spirit and flesh. We've talked about all of them already, but let me just pinpoint some of this. It's what we've already said. Number one, how do you know if the ministry you're receiving from or if the life you're walking in is the ministry of the Spirit or the life of the Spirit? Well, the answers in the Scriptures that we've read. The Spirit quickens. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit makes alive. So this is how you identify. Are Are you in a place, are you under a ministry that is something's quickening on the inside of you. Something's stirring on the inside of you. Life is happening on the inside. You're being made alive. Because the opposite of that is what the flesh, is the only thing the flesh can do. And that is what Paul said, if you live by the flesh, you'll die. But I don't, I don't believe that is to just be taken as if you live by the flesh, your heart will stop right now. No, that's that's not what he was saying. There's more to life than a beating heart. There's more to death than one that has stopped. When he said the Spirit makes alive, that would also include the Spirit building you up, right? That would include the Spirit of God strengthening you, edifying you, sustaining you. This happened in the life of Jesus in John chapter 4. The Bible says that Jesus, being wearied from the journey, sat down by the well. Does that help anybody else? Do you get tired when you've been walking for a long time? Guess who else did? Jesus. Why is that detail in there? To remind you that He was not walking this earth as God. He emptied Himself of that and wrapped around Himself flesh. And flesh gets tired when flesh has been working hard. Evidently, he was so tired that he had to stop and tell the disciples, you guys are going to have to go on without me. Go get food and bring it back. What's he say? I literally can't go any further. That's Jesus. Well, they left him and he's sitting by the well. And you remember what happened, right? This lady came to draw. Jesus said, will you draw some water for me? And she said, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We're not supposed to be talking to each other. And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, draw water for me, you would have asked of me living water. And she said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Help me out. Which side is she living on? 
Jesus is speaking by the Spirit. She's hearing through the flesh. And he, he tried. He gave her a couple of more clues and she wasn't picking up on it. And there was a moment in their conversation when Jesus stepped over into the gifts of the Spirit. He said, go call your husband to come here. She said, I don't have one. He said, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. In that you've spoken truly. Now again, this is a man. But he's a man full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. And now the gifts of the Spirit, this word of knowledge is in operation. And she, you could almost just see it, reading it. She's the, the kind of caught off guard. And she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> really? You picked up on it. Wow. But man, she changed the subject right away. And she's like, um, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is where one ought to worship. We Samaritans say that we should worship right here. In other words, let's not talk about my scandalous, adulterous past. Let's talk about religion. You say we're supposed to worship there. I say we're supposed to worship here. And he looked at her and he said, Woman, the hour is coming and now is when the Father seeks those who will worship Him. How? In spirit. spirit and in truth. I want you to notice what goes with spirit. Truth. What did Paul say? We're not peddling this gospel. We're sincere about this. We're honest about this. This is truth. This is reality. He said, Jesus, Jesus said, the Father's looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if you can worship in spirit, how else can you worship? Not just truth, but listen, what's the opposite of worship in spirit? You can worship and be totally in the flesh. Completely in the flesh. And you know how much that will produce? Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because the flesh profits how much? Nothing. Nothing. And she looked at him and she said, well, the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Isn't that funny? Jesus finally, he's like, I who speak to you am he. He tried, man. He tried to get faith out of this woman. He just finally had to spell it out for her. But he made clear what the Father's looking for. People who will worship how? In spirit. Why? It's because the spirit is the only thing that can quicken. The spirit is the only thing that makes alive. And I've told you this before, but you need to know this about us. We are not concerned in the least with being a quote-unquote modern church. Just, it, it, it doesn't register. Now, I'm not just, I wouldn't just do things old to be old, but, but listen, we got to change the way we think about this. There are, and believe me, I've experienced this, Sarah and I, have, if, as we've traveled and we've been in churches and there are, there are songs that are so-called modern worship and, and I'm not judging anything, I'm not saying anything's right or wrong or bad or whatever, but it is very easy, if you'll ask the Lord to open your eyes to it, to see what's spirit and what's not, what's spirit and what's emotion, what's spirit and what's feeling, what's spirit and what's flesh. 
And there are people that will tell you, you know, if you're going to have a church, then the, you got to do these songs from these places. This is modern. But do you understand that if, it, if a song came out like in the last 500 years, that's pretty modern to God. That's still <laughs> modern worship. Like, he's like, Amazing Grace came out half an hour ago to him. You understand? A, thou, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So this is all so-called modern. But let me tell you something. It's not about when the song came out. It's about where the song came from. And that's when you get into spirit. And we've been in churches, God bless them, where they put us on the front row and we look up there and we have to avert our eyes. Why? Can't look directly at the woman leading worship or the ones in the back because of what's, what they got on. And I'm thinking, sister, hide something. <laughs> what is that? Flesh. Flesh. Why? I'm getting out ahead here. The Spirit of God will always, without fail, 100% of the time, give glory to God. That's right. Every time. That's, right. That's how you know it's Him. Flesh draws attention to self. That's what flesh does. We're finding out the differences. I told you Spirit makes alive. Flesh, there's death in it. And I told you that story about Jesus sitting at the well because after that woman ran back to the town to get all the people and say, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. In the meantime, the disciples who went away to get food came back to him and he was so energized. He was so full of life. They literally said to each other, did somebody bring him food? Did somebody feed you? And this is what he said. I have food that you know not of. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What happened? Jesus, who was tired, who was wearied from the journey, as soon as the Spirit of God started moving in him and on him, and he moved over into that gift of the Spirit, that word of knowledge, there was a quickening, there was a strengthening. He hadn't eaten anything naturally, but when they got back to him, he was totally refreshed, totally energized. Why? Where'd that come from? Spirit. The Spirit. The Spirit makes alive. The flesh will kill. See, this is why you and I have to identify in our lives what sustains us and what drains us. There are things I guarantee you, you are doing right now, and I know I am too, that are draining you of time, draining you of energy, that you work and you work and you work at it and it's profiting and producing nothing. Stop, stop for a minute and say, Jesus, am I in the flesh on this? Should I not even be invested here? Help the Lord, let the Lord help you see what sustains you and what drains you. That's how you know if it's spirit or flesh. We've talked about this. How do you know if it's done in the spirit or done in the flesh? If it's done in the spirit, it liberates. It sets free. If it's done in the flesh, there's bondage in it. But it's not just bondage in the sense of somebody going to prison. I told you before, what do those prison walls do? They stand there and speak to the people within them and say, you can only go this far. This is your limitation. 
You cannot go any further than this. That's what those walls say. That's what those bars say. But the ministry of the Spirit liberates. The ministry of the Spirit sets free. The ministry of the Spirit doesn't put more burden on people. The ministry of the Spirit lifts and removes burdens. The ministry of the Spirit destroys yokes. How do you know if what you're under in this church is the ministry of the Spirit, the new covenant, if burdens are being removed and yokes are being destroyed, if the light's coming on and you came in with weight, but you're walking out free, glory to God, you are under the ministry of the Spirit. And I'm saying it out loud in Jesus' name, that is what this place will be. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we're going to have it. We will have it. We will have it. We will have it. We're already seeing it. People getting free. Liberty. How do you know if it's in the Spirit? There's liberty. How do you know if it's in the flesh? There's limitation. Limitation. we got to understand that liberty, people hear that and they think, oh, this is a free church. That means I can stand up and do anything I want to do and say anything I want to say. And believe me, I have been in some of those services and, and I thought, who told that guy to blow that shofar? You know what I mean? Seriously, I've been in the middle of it. Somebody's preaching and out of the back left field of the room is... And you know what it does is it distracts and it irritates and it annoys. And that's how you know it's in the flesh. The presence of freedom does not translate to the absence of order or the absence of structure. God is a God of order. He's all about us being free and the gifts of the Spirit flowing freely, but there is a right way to do it. And it comes under authority. There was a lady who followed, followed Paul and the guys around for many days. And you know what she was doing? She was following them in this book of Acts chapter 16. She said, these men are servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. They bring to us the way of salvation. And she said it again and again. These men are servants of the Most High God. We must listen to them. They show us the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God. We must listen to them. Show us the way of salvation. Now let me ask you something. Is what she was saying true? Yes. But was it in the Spirit? No, it was in a spirit. And she did this for many days. And Paul's trying to preach, and here's this one. These men are them out high on. We need to live them. These men. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that Paul, being greatly annoyed, <laughs> seriously, is what it said, spoke to her and cast that spirit out of her, and she was free. See, whatever spirit she was under had her held bondage. And then she was met with the Spirit of the living God and found liberty. But she was saying something that on paper looked right, but it was coming out of the wrong spirit. And what people need to know, and you need to know this, that being in the Spirit does not just automatically mean your eyes roll back in your head and you, <laughs> you shake and flop and nobody can talk to you because you're laughing and crying and laughing and crying. Now, I'm not saying the Spirit of God doesn't do these types of things, but listen to me living in the Spirit, you can't live like that 24 hours a day. Try going to work like this. 
what do you do? I'm an accountant, but I can't <laughs> write down the numbers. Why? Because I'm in the spirit. No, you're not. You're being annoying and you're about to get fired. We got to understand this though. I'm not trying to make fun of somebody, but we have to understand. Yes, there are times I've seen it. I've been a part of the real deal when the spirit of God overwhelms somebody and, and, and they can't help but just shiver and shake in the presence of God. But listen to me, that's not the, the end all be all of being in the spirit. You can be in the spirit sitting across the table from somebody who's pouring their heart out to you, whose marriage is falling apart, whose kids hate them, who's about to lose their job. And if you will listen on the inside and wait for that witness and the unction and in the spirit, have an answer. Because the spirit gives life. The spirit liberates. The spirit gives glory to God. The spirit does not draw attention to self. Man, if we have some things happen in this church and the Spirit of God is moving among us and people are getting healed and people are getting saved and delivered and families are prospering, I've told you, to Him be glory in this church. To Him be glory in this church by Christ Jesus to all generations. But the quickest way to stop all of that is for you and I to, to start taking some of the credit. For us to start taking some of the glory. You volunteer and you're, maybe you're one of our altar ministers one day and somebody comes at the end of the service and they're just broken and, and by the Spirit of God you have an answer for them and they're healed, they're delivered, they're set free and God does something awesome in their life. You want that to happen again? Give God the glory. You want it to never happen again? Start believing it was you. If it's in the Spirit, it'll give God glory. If it's in the flesh, it'll point back to you. And we do have some things set up here in our church among our staff. We got some of them sit here. We have a dress code. We have certain rules in place. It's not because we're on a power trip. It's not because we're legalistic or trying to be controlling. It's because we don't want anything drawing attention to self, to flesh. Because we want the moving of the Spirit of God more than we want anything else. If you're going to come and be a part of this, if you're going to volunteer here, if you're going to serve the Lord here, if this is going to be your ministry, then you're going to find out some of these things. And I don't care if it's on the platform or the parking lot. We're going to have people on the platform, and guess what? We have singers that sing wrong notes, musicians that play wrong chords, drummers that miss the beat, but none of that will get you kicked off the team. But will, what will get you sat down for a week or six <laughs> is getting into the place where you think that's somehow about you or that you like being most seen. That'll stop the move of God so quick Amen. and we can't have it. So find out what's sustaining you. Find out what's draining you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.